Today's first scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John, in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Before rendering to you the second scripture reading, I would like to express my appreciation for our guest musician, uh, Marge Adler. And uh, I was thinking at the beginning of the service, uh, people in the congregation aren't going to want us to start. They want you to just keep playing. So thank you for what you've been able to, uh, to do. The other thing I'd like to point out here is I noticed there's a clock up here on the uh, pulpit. Okay. And then I look over here and there's another clock on the wall. Are you guys trying to send me a message already? <laughs> I'll take that into account, okay? Well, our second scripture reading is also taken from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 10. We'll begin with verse 1. And again, this will be from the New Revised Standard Version. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over the unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your Holy Spirit descend upon us, our Heavenly Father, that the Word of God may be more fully known to us this day. We pray this through the love of the Father and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, now and forever. Amen. Just to let you know, I'm a little bit of a a movie buff And so I wanted to uh, do a little quiz with you today. How many of you remember this particular movie? Hmm? Okay, that goes back a little ways, I realize. The Dirty Dozen was made in 1967 and had a star-studded class of actors to include Lee Marvin, who had the lead, Tully Savalas, Charles Bronson, Donald Sutherland, and there was this guy named Jim Brown who uh, used to play 
football for some team in Cleveland uh, before he became an actor. And the movie portrayed a special military operation that supposedly occurred during World War II. And it was a while since I've seen this movie, so I had to read up on it a bit this week to refresh my memory. And so there was this American officer, played by Lee Marvin, who had this near-impossible mission to accomplish. His assignment was to free American prisoners who were being held in a Nazi prison. And the mission was that they were to somehow infiltrate this prison camp and access the cells where these prisoners were and then find a way to extract them and bring them back to the Allied forces. But to accomplish this mission, this officer did not go to the best and the brightest soldiers in his outfit because, for one thing, it was told to him that it was going to be a very risky mission and about a 90% failure possibility. There would be many casualties. And so the Army didn't want to waste its best soldiers on such an operation. And so to recruit men for this mission, he went to an American prison where the soldiers gone bad were being held. Servicemen who had messed up in terrible ways. They were the riffraff of the Army, sentenced to hard time uh, by the military justice system. They were thieves and scoundrels who had come up the hard way in life and then just continued that kind of criminal activity while they were in the Army. And that's where he went to recruit these 12 men for this dangerous mission. Here are the soldiers that he selected for the mission. You know, within the prison confines, he lines them up and he tells them what is going to happen and what their part was going to be in this dangerous mission they were to embark upon. And as that movie unfolds, and you see him training up these, uh, these men and uh, eventually carrying out this operation, you see there is some wisdom to the choice of these 12 because since they were thieves and scoundrels, they had learned a lot of tricks along the way. One of them was good at picking locks, which would come in handy in freeing up those prisoners. Others were good with their fists, which would be helpful when they had to encounter the prison guards. They all knew their sneaky tactics that crooks and bandits seemed to know. And that was helpful. Well, today's gospel reading tells about a dozen people that Jesus chose to be his closest followers, his disciples. Now, they weren't the dirty dozen, but they were a remarkable selection, considering just how, frankly, so unremarkable they were. In our first scripture reading from Matthew's Gospel, we see Jesus call the first two of his disciples. It says, Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, who were casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Now notice there's no vetting process that takes place here, no test to see if they were actually competent enough to be the closest followers of Jesus. It appears spontaneous and uncalculated. And so these two would-be disciples bring their boat ashore, they fold up their nets, and they follow Jesus. And then Jesus is walking down the shore even further, and he encounters two other brush brothers who were fishermen, and their names were James and John, and they were sitting in the boat 
mending their nets along with their father. Jesus said, follow me, and they followed. They left their father in the boat. And so I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, uh, so you're just basically wanting to recruit a a bunch of working-class kind of men, uh, you know, simple but kind of like-minded. There's a commonality about them. But then if you turn to chapter 9 in the Gospel of Matthew, this was not one of our scripture readings that we shared, and this is the calling of Matthew, the one attributed to the Gospel that bears his name. And here in this chapter, it says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now that simple reference to Matthew sitting at a tax booth uh, speaks volumes about his identity. Matthew was a tax collector. And while that may seem like an innocuous title, it had the vilest of implications. Tax collectors worked for the enemy. They worked for Rome. They were were fellow countrymen of the Israelites who extracted money from their own people and gouging them for their own personal profit. We can say that if the fishermen were your basic salt-of-the-earth working-class people, the tax collectors were their money-gouging traitors to their country. Now, there was never a more unlikely selection for a disciple than Matthew. Tax collectors, you'll notice in the Bible, are referred to in a special category of sinners because of how despised they were. Sometimes people would point the finger at Jesus as, why do you associate with the sinners and the tax collectors? They were a special category of sinners. Why does he do this? And maybe that's the question we ask as well. Why, Jesus, would you choose one such as he? And then we get to chapter 10 in the Gospel of Matthew. And here we see, by this time, Jesus has all 12 of his closest followers assembled. And so Matthew uh, gives us the names of all 12 of them. Simon, also known as Peter. His brother, Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, his brother, John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. So of these names, let me highlight one more, and that is this one. This is Simon the Canaanian. And there's hardly a reference to Simon in the Bible outside of the listing of him alongside these others, but that title is a telling one. The Canaanians were a radical, revolutionary sect in Judaism whose desire was to overthrow the Roman government by force. This was the only way they believed that they could uh, gain back their their nation and its former glory. These were men who were bent on taking their country back by, by violence. And I was thinking if the Canaanians were alive today and we were part of the establishment at that time, we might refer to them as terrorists. Now think about this. These 12 disciples, Matthew, the tax collector who catered to the Romes, 
to Romans by extracting taxes from his own people. And then on the other side, you have Simon, the revolutionary, who was bent on destroying the very ones that Matthew catered to. And I'm thinking, you know, what was it like when Jesus gathered his 12 disciples at table for the first time? You had to see that, that there was Simon on one side and Matthew on the other, and then all the other guys in between. What were they talking about at that first meal? Simon and Matthew, did they even make eye contact to one another? And anybody looking at this hodgepodge of, ga- of disciples would ask Jesus, what are you thinking? Is this the best that you can do? Remember, these 12, they were the inner circle followers of Jesus. They weren't like the crowds who came and listened to the message that Jesus had to bring or to receive healing. They were the ones who traveled with Jesus. They were the ones who ate with Jesus and knew him in an intimate way that others were not able to. It was to these 12 that Jesus would give the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So another movie I saw sometime back in the 90s was this movie. Do you remember that one? Okay. That's the right stuff, which talks about the original seven astronauts chosen by NASA for their space program. And in the movie, you see the great care and effort that was put into selecting who were the most qualified um, people to be the astronauts. You see physical endurance testing, mental stress testing, all of this to find the astronauts with the right stuff. That didn't seem to be the case with Jesus and his disciples. They seemed to be made up more of the wrong stuff. And yet... Jesus' rather unimpressive listing here of disciples should not surprise us. It is consistent with how God chose people for his special purposes throughout the Bible. The God that we find in the Bible, the God that we see incarnate in the person of Jesus, seems to delight to delight in choosing the very people you would think he should not choose. From the outset, you see God uh, blessing this, this old man, Abraham, in his 70s. He is to be the father of a great Hebrew nation. His wife, Sarah, well past childbearing years, last when Abraham tells her that they are to become parents uh, whose lineage will bring great generations to come. Later on, these descendants did become a nation. But by most standards, one would not call the Israelites great. In fact, they had to trace their beginnings as a nation to a time when they were held as slaves in Egypt. Often God had to remind his people about their humble beginnings. The book of Deuteronomy, one of the law books of the Bible. God is giving his people instructions before they are to go into the promised land that they are to inhabit. And he says to them, remember the Lord your God who chose you out of all the nations of the earth. And he makes it clear to them by saying this. It was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord chose you. For you were the fewest of peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors 
that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and rescued you from the house of bondage. They were nobodies until God made them somebodies. And could it be that God chooses these unlikelies to accomplish his purpose, not because the people's qualifications matter, but because of his grace? God reaches down to us in his love, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. You see, Jesus, throughout his ministry, was able to see potential in people that others were not able to see. Jesus was one who saw people for their possibilities rather than their past, holding before them a vision of what they might become rather than a picture of what they had been. People would say to Jesus, do you think these rogue followers of yours can meet the religious caliber of our Pharisees and scribes? And Jesus' answer is yes and more, because these men are clay in my hands. And by the power of the Heavenly Father, I will mold them and I will shape them into what purpose they are to serve for me. Whatever words of derision people may have used when referring to Jesus' disciples Jesus called them his disciples. In that movie, The Dirty Dozen, I mentioned how those lowlifes from the American prison with seemingly no redeeming features about them, they were put to useful, a useful purpose. They used the skills that they had, picking locks and street fighting to accomplish their mission. Somehow they were able to do something redemptive. In a similar way, Jesus took these remarkably unremarkable men and equipped them to do the remarkable work of the gospel. You shall make disciples of all nations. And let's give those disciples credit also. Despite the telling differences shared among these men and the various histories each one of them had apart from each other, when the call of Christ came, they responded. When the opportunity for the grace of God to take hold of them was presented to them, they grabbed it. When Jesus saw those fishermen casting their nets into the sea, and he called them, they dropped them. And they, and he followed, they followed him. Not knowing what the future was going to be, they took that step of faith. You know, and I, I and when Jesus approached Matthew there at his tax booth, with the coins held piled high, sort of like a symbol of the wealth that he had, Jesus said, come and follow me. And in Luke's version of the story, it says he got up and he left everything and followed Jesus. Now, Simon, the Bible doesn't reference his call, but we know that when the call came, he followed. Nowhere does the Bible say that he again raised his sword in violence again. Together, all of these men would minister in the name of Jesus. So the message is this to all of us. I know you're not perfect. I know you are flawed. And some of you carry the scars of your past mistakes and your failures. But when you consider 
What I was able to do, Jesus is saying to us, with these 12 that I chose to be my closest followers, think of what I can do with you. That's something for us all to keep in mind as we move forward the ministry here at the Rocky River Presbyterian Church. Amen and amen. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think, to him be the power and the glory now and forever. Amen and amen.